It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, folks. This is Stan Dryav, Nick Bracha, coming to you from the Tri-State area. Before we get going, I do want to ask you guys to check out the MMA Geek C-Level podcast channel on YouTube. I've been posting 10-minute full-card breakdowns, and there's stats, and you get to see my pretty face, so it's a win-win for everybody. Check it out, guys. If you find it useful, please do subscribe. I would love some support on that channel. We're going to talk about this weekend's UFC Fight Night, Brunson versus Shabazi, and we're going to break down the entire card for you guys, and we're also going to get into last week's Whitaker versus Tilkard. Nick, another win for yours truly. Everything is rolling just as it should be. My 12 to your four event wins. Now, Nick, I'm going to go ahead. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to go ahead and let you make all your excuses. You've got the floor, my friend. Do your thing. It's not an excuse. I went 6 and 1, you went 6 and 1. You happen to have the tiebreaker fight. In fact, I went 6 and 0, oh, which is a run that you have not achieved sequentially <laughs> in terms of fights, okay? So if you look into the stats, the sabermetrics if you will of our performance, I actually did better than you in some regards. Also, <laughs> I got jobbed, and you know I got jobbed. Yeah, like Nogueira should have gotten that win, and it's questionable that Whitaker deserved his win. All of my wins were extremely clear cut. All right, so you can thank the referees, you can thank the judges, but six and one, six and one, with you eking out a tiebreaker on a fight that we agreed on, that's just the luck of the draw, bitch. So don't act like you hit a home run when your shit was born on third base. Nick, whatever makes you feel good. As everyone knows, we have. <laughs> that's, but that's, that's everything I said is pretty much true. It's not like you sure. schooled me. It was I got whatever. whatever I picked. I was. Good, I would, in fact, I was. I mean, I listen. I can't pretend that I care about the overall picking because I focus on the game. But I beat you in the overall picking, thirteen to two to to uh, twelve and three. That is absolutely true, Nick. You, you you did on that, and that is absolutely to your credit. But but I mean, I lost, gonna... I lost in the game. But don't you know? I'm still I still had better analysis than you did, despite you know all of your nights nice staying up watching tape until you were blurry eyed, taking notes, pissing off your wife, like. And I still wait. Your analysis me. was better than mine, Nick. Are yeah, we well, living in more an effect, ultimate more, universe more with fake news and ultimate was, facts, Nick? It was more effective. How so? I picked more correct fights correctly than you did. It's simple now. Oh, math. I'm sorry. I thought when you said that your analysis was better, I thought that you meant that your analysis was better. Okay, we're on the same page. All good. Uh, Nikolai, I picked up another win. And you're right, Nick. I probably have 12 event wins to your four because Nogueira uh, got screwed. There's three ties. Shaga. There's also I mean, three ties. Sure, yeah. Whatever makes you feel good. Oh. Uh, Look, uh, it was it was an overall fun card, Nick. And despite my resounding victory, despite my dominance, it's over not you, resounding. It's not <laughs> dominance. Also, over the last three months, it's been pretty darn even all around. Okay, so yeah, Whatever my spring training was a little extended. To... I tore my rotator cuff. It was a little bit, <laughs> it was a little bit difficult getting back into it. But I did. I persevered, and I've been going blow for blow with you for several months. So don't, don't know, act Nick. all. You got knocked down a couple times in a row there. Get right back up. I'm gonna. Ugh. Why don't we just start talking about the fights before I get more pissed off? Ooh, I'd like. To, I'd like to see like a like a really angry Nick Brache. I think the audience is interested in such a thing as well. Nick, go for it, buddy. 
Tell me nope, with, with why ver- you with, deserved every no. one of these twelve wins that I have over you, and naturally. Oh no! Some no. Oh, there were a couple where I where I was terrible. <laughs> this one and, and this that, one. I think this that listen, I think is the quote that everyone can remember going from this episode of our show, Nick. You were pretty terrible. Oh, but this one wasn't. I picked thirteen and two. No, I'm, no, I'm no. Your your that. overall picking actually was solid. I'm impressed. I'll be honest with you. Solid, I thought that... just solid or terrific. Terrific, Nick. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought that Marina Rodriguez, the one fight that you and I disagreed on, I thought Marina Rodriguez uh, absolutely deserved that win. I thought she did way, way more damage in those first two rounds. And since damage is supposed to be the number one criterion, in my opinion, it's as simple as a Marina Rodriguez 29-28. But outside of that, I thought how that... Can you, how can you argue that when 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 Esparza... You know, has to like ends up taking some little pitter patter punches following a really, really strategically placed heel hook. <laughs> That's very funny, Nick. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she was mad. She was when Marina Rodriguez Twice. was landing. It was <laughs> fucking scary, Nick. And you're right, Carlos Parza went for that stupid leg lock with 30 to 45 seconds left of rounds one and two, and it allowed Marina Rodriguez to just lay it on her, just beat the holy shit out of her. It's like I asked you uh, via text following this event. Would you rather be Carla uh, held down by Carlos Barza for three and a half minutes, or would you rather be beat up by Marina Rodriguez for a minute and a half? I will take Carlos Barza gently holding on to my thighs any day. Uh, well, you're. I, I don't think that's quite accurate. In this first round, it was more like four minutes and twenty seconds, and it was less. It was and it was about. It was about thirty seconds of. Um, no, Damn Nick, it. that's Damage how the round ended, the but Esparza didn't get the takedown in the first five seconds of the fight, right? That's, like they, they were uh, she got a pretty In the first round, she got it pretty early. The second round, not that early. Yeah, yeah, but in any case, I mean, everybody yeah. agrees that Esparza lost the first round, and the second round, Esparza you're saying that she had round. even less control, and but the, but, she won it. But Yeah, okay. well, Rodriguez did a, lot dam- did a lot of damage. She hit that sick elbow in the first round. Yeah, I mean, she she did. I thought she did heavy damage in both rounds. But in any case, let's assume that grappling is weighted more than uh, damage for your sake, Nick. Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till, a five-round main event. And I'll be honest with you, I had my concerns about the pacing of this fight because I picked Robert Whitaker. I recommended a bet on Whitaker. I thought it was a really good opportunity on the betting lines. This was actually a phenomenal betting week for me. Nick, I ended up getting 98% return on my investment. I think a $250 profit or something along those lines. So really good one. Uh, One of the bets that I recommended uh, was Robert Whitaker, and he came through. It was closer than I expected because they were fighting at Darren Till's pace, which is kind of very... Very kind of, we stand at a distance from each other. We, you know, go in circles around each other. And once in a while, I'm going to explode and throw a combo. And that's kind of what they were doing. They were literally just taking turns with that, with that kind of pacing. And that worries me because Robert Whitaker, when he's winning, especially against a guy like Darren Till, he's pressuring. He's putting real, real offensive numbers onto his opponent and overwhelming him. And Darren Till, when he has lost, it's been by getting overwhelmed. I think this is his first decision loss in the UFC. His other two losses were by finish, I believe, in the second round against Jorge Masvidal and Tyron Woodley. But Whitaker did what he had to do. I guess he was safer in this one. He'd want to run into the shots that he ran in against Israel Adesanya. It's just that Darren Till doesn't really counter like Israel Adesanya. Darren Till is an offensive front foot pressure fighter. Um, And Whitaker could have taken more chances, but he got that win. I thought that he took either three or four of the five rounds. I think one of the rounds... um, 
I think easily the first round you give to Darren Till. He got that knockdown with the elbow, which was beautiful, by the way. I initially thought it was a headbutt. And then I think it was that third round where Darren Till, you know, a fairly low-paced round where Darren Till just decided to go off on a five-punch combo, and all five punches seemed to have landed hard on Whitaker. And outside of that, Whitaker controlled the round, but I thought that Darren Till did enough in that third. So in my opinion, a 48-47 decision is fair. And Robert Whitaker continues his trek at the top of the middleweight division. What were your thoughts, buddy? Yeah, I didn't enjoy this fight as much as other people did. Till, you know, Till kind of fights like uh, old West Gunslinger who like twitches is just you know who stands out there and just like twitches his finger getting ready and then eventually <laughs> fires. But there's a lot of like kind of standing around. Um, yeah. I thought that an arc, and I mean maybe this is me wanting Till to win so I would take the victory, even though I had picked Whitaker. I thought a case could have been made for Till in uh, one, three, and possibly five, but it's not like, yeah, you know. I think. I mean, you look at the fight. If you zoom out enough, I think. It, I think. I think Whitaker. You look at the fight. Whitaker won the fight. Looking at how MMA scored, could it? Would, could an argument be made for Till? Possibly, sure. But um, you know, the story of this fight is that coming off of. A pretty bad no- knock uh, knockout loss against Adesanya, where he got floored in the at the end of the first and finished in the second. Um, you know, Whitaker ate that elbow and uh, recovered pretty quickly. Uh, you know, against a guy who has a ton of knockdowns and and a good amount of knockouts, and was able to re- recover his composure and and fight pretty well. So, you know, standing uh, directly across from an intimidating gunslinger type. So. I think, you know, Bobby Knuckles is still there. I think Till is. I guess I would describe him as a, as a elite, but limited. I I don't know. I just I don't see Darren Till having a ton of success in the top five at one seventy or one eighty five. I just don't think he's got enough. Um, I don't think he's got enough versatility, uh, and I think his activity is a problem against yeah, against you're... against elite opponents. I think you're spot on about the lack of versatility. I mean, he mentions himself how opponents talk about how he only has the left hand. I mean, dude, it's true. You only have the left hand. Now, he, his, his like, kicks are his head kicks are not bad. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he never really lands them for the most part. Right, but right. you're right. Uh, like I, I appreciate that he's throwing that left kick, and I've mentioned the left kick before. It's really only the left hand and the left kick, but that left kick hasn't really done a whole lot of damage. The left hand has actually hurt some guys, and. That's the thing. He's got a lack of versatility, and he's got a lack of output. He was really happy with this result, Nick. Uh, at, I don't know if you got to see any of the press conference yeah. after the fight, where he considered it to be a like you know a win for both guys, and you know he feels like this proves that he's one of the top guys because Whitaker's a former champion. He's okay, comfortable being a bridesmaid. I think he came into the UFC sounding like the most confident, most brash talking guy since McGregor, and then after taking those couple of lickens. He's adjusted his expectations of himself, and the fact that he's happy with this result kind of shows it. Um, he was happy to hang in there with Robert Whitaker after getting smoked by Masvidal and uh, Woodley in the past. So, yeah, uh, look, there's going to be... Can more, I interject for a second? Please. I mean, you think about fights against Stephen Thompson, Kelvin Gastelum, and now Whitaker. Those are three guys who have had some... I mean, not always with Thompson, but they've they've had some pretty awesome fights uh, among them, the yeah. three like these opponents. And it's like, am I that ex- am I excited to watch any of those guys? I mean, not the not this recent Gastelum, but 
I'm always interested in Wonder Boy, pretty much always interested in Gastelum and, and you know, Bobby Knuckles is must see TV. And like Darentel kind of pulls the the must see TV away from these guys. And it's not and like you get it if a guy's an elite wrestler and he's able to take people down. And it's like, oh, man, I got to watch the guy that I like get smothered. That doesn't really happen anymore at this level unless you're fighting, you know, Usman. Um, so it's just like he kind of he I don't know. He's kind of boring. Darren Till's yeah. kind of boring. Uh, I don't I don't disagree with you. If he's not hurting somebody with the left hand at that very moment, or if he's not getting, taking a huge shot, it's probably a boring fight if Darren Till is involved. I, I agree with you. And that's been the case in his two middleweight fights since he moved up in weight, even with his last win over Kelvin Gastelum, which, let's face it, in a retrospect, looks less impressive because sure he does. beat him much less impressively than did... Uh, who was it that beat him last week, Nick? Kelvin Gastelum? Jack Hermanson. Jack, yeah. Yeah, I was like Jack Mershart Harshman. Like I, I was about to, mer- <laughs> I was about to merge a bunch of guys I, I together. That. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so Darren Till, um, you know, he he might hang out in the outside of the top ten. He barely deserves it, in my opinion. Robert Whitaker, I hope he gets his confidence back, and I'm interested to see who he faces next. Nick, who would you ideally pair him up with at this point? That's a really good question. Um, let me look at the middleweight rankings. Hang on. I don't I'm have the rankings up. up yet. So pause while I pull up the <laughs> rankings. So uh, we've got uh, Paulo Costa, Cannoneer, Yoel Romero, yeah. Jack Hermanson. I mean, the, honestly, Jack the winner. Jeez, I can't believe it took me this long to figure it out. What's I mean, that? why not? Why not? Though, is it too early to have him fight the? Well, I mean, if it's Shabazi, if it's Shabazian, we'll see. I mean, the winner of Brunson Shabazian is not a bad idea. Um, it's not going to be Yoel uh, yeah. Romero. No one needs to see that again. Um, it could be it could be Jack Hermanson, but like, God, I would love to see Edmund Shabazzi <laughs> against Robert Whitaker. But at twenty two years old, maybe you don't throw the kid there yet. But listen, his if he wins this weekend, his next fight's gonna be kind of at that at that level. He's not gonna fight Gastelum. Um, yeah, and probably not Gastelum coming off of a loss. I could see uh, Edmund or or Hermanson, but sorry, go ahead. Well, 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 yeah, I was just saying I could see uh, Edmund or Jack Hermanson being options, I suppose, uh, if Edmund does pick up this win. And obviously, if Brunson does, that's also an option. But that would probably be my top two. I don't want to see him face the winner of Paulo Costa and Israel Arasani yet. I would love to see Whitaker kind of get his feet under him in the division, take a little bit longer to recover from that knockout loss. But yeah, like Edmund Shabazian would be essentially uh, a risky one because what if Shabazian is not quite ready for uh, for this for Whitaker's level of competition at this point, right? And I mean, that's, okay. that's okay. You're not spot. really sacrificing it. Listen, Carlos Condit taught Rory McDonald. I mean, yeah, Carlos Condit taught Rory McDonald a lesson, and Rory McDonald still ended up having two of the best uh, welterweight title fights, or one, well, one of the best uh, welterweight, maybe the best welterweight title fight uh, challenge of all time afterwards. So it doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, yeah, I do hear that. Uh, Edmund Shabazzian could take his prospect loss. Honestly, he could take it this weekend. It's entirely possible, I think, given uh, the sort of experience that he has. But in the meantime, we do have the rest of this card to quickly talk about. Yeah. Well, hang on. What's up? Hey, just I just want to sound ignorant if we don't at least suggest it. I mean, there's no reason why. What does Cannoneer have coming up? That's actually a very, very good point, Nick. I just that said, might I mean, be the, the kind of primer like right they were, before a title they were shot for They were supposed to fight. They were supposed to fight at 248. That's right. Um, I, th- I think that's a great one, Nick. 
Also a good suggestion. I think Hermanson or Cannoneer, uh, either of them are good suggestions. I think it all depends on whether they want to bring Cannoneer up to that title, in which case they might not want to risk him against Whitaker. Um, it would be an exciting main event between him and Andesanya, let's face it. So uh, we've got the split decision win of Mauricio Hua over Antonio Rogerio Noguera. This was their third fight, Nick. This is the rare instance of a trilogy where one guy wins all three and it was this one was probably the closest of the three. The argument could be made stronger for Noguera in this one than any other. And Hua, you know, he out-hustled them. He had the most variety. With Noguera, it seems like the only thing you really have to worry about is his hands. And with Hua, he's still got the backup of takedowns. He's got his kicks. He's got his knees. And on top of that, he's still pretty good with his right hand. So it was just the variety of Hua, I think, that won him out. Even though, once again, he got buzzed by Noguera, as I thought he might. Um, it was the fact that he could get takedowns, the fact that he could land kicks at a distance that probably ended up edging him this one. And look, the truth about Rogério Noguera is that he's retired and people talk about him being a legend. People talk about all his accomplishments and contributions to the sport. With due respect, I'm not sure that he's contributed that much to the sport. This man is a good fighter and he's done good things, but he's not his big brother. And I think a lot of people conflate his big brother's legacy with his own. He's never won a title at any level of high, you know, at, at high level MMA at all. He lost to most of the good guys that he faced, Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, Anthony Johnson, Mauricio Hua, well, Ryan Bader. Yes, Again, but in pro, you know, pro, like his run, listen, his, his UFC career was not very accomplished, but he beat Dan Henderson twice, I think, and a bunch of other guys in pride. Like his, his, the resume that gets him the, the, the legend status is all pride, no UFC, whereas Nog, you know, Nog had that's fair. Um, he, some major he does su- have a, early success in the UFC. Big Nog. Yeah. No, it's fair. He does have a win over Alistair Overeem and Dan Henderson. Two wins over Overeem, as a matter of fact. So, to his credit, yeah, like those are impressive. But outside of those two wins, and this was back in the day when Dan Henderson was at a good point in his career. Don't get me wrong, but Alistair Overeem was not his current self. He was regularly losing to high level fighters. And really, outside of those two wins, Nick, I can't think of one a really a really old Rashad Evans, a really old Tito Ortiz he was able to beat. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like those two wins alone yeah, don't, don't give him this legend status. Even though they're impressive and they're remarkable, there's other people with more high-level wins who are not even in the conversation for it because their big brother is not an actual legend of the sport. I think the fact that they're twins makes people confuse him. Noguera was never the grappler that his brother was. He was an excellent boxer. A little nog, I mean. And yep. he showed that in his fights against Mauricio Hua. He knocked Mauricio Hua down or made him wobbly in all three of those fights but still couldn't quite figure out a way to pick up the win. He's a good man, though. I respect him a lot. I, I, I respect the fact that he puts so much of his time and effort into MMA and uh, I hope that he continues to find success outside of the sport. Whereas Mauricio Hua, man, shit, somebody can land a clean shot on him. He is dancing for about a round. It's uh, odd to watch this guy that I grew up watching, who was a young man who's blowing through everybody, Nick, back in the day, who's now just struggling with everyone, but still picking up wins. I mean, let's face it, the guy is five and one in his last six, uh, maybe five, one and one if you count that draw. And even that draw probably should have gone to him. Uh, against Paul Craig. So he is still winning fights, even though he's looking incredibly tender doing so. How am I six years older than Shogun? Anyway. That is uh, crazy. Yeah, right? you know, dirty old, I mean, gr- dirty old men, grumpy old men fighting. It was fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Um, Nick, the we, we were. I, did you, wait, who did, you pick, who did you pick in that fight? 
I gave the ever so slightest edge to Gustafson, but yeah. I recommended a bet on Verdun because I thought that, that, no, the, that the odds was, were that was so smart. crazy. The odds here. were messed up, and there's some odds that are messed up in the upcoming card. This, woof, not what I, I mean. We just talk about it briefly. There's not much to say. Um, Verdun was like a shark, and Gustafson was like a mediocre swimmer. Yeah, and and he couldn't get to shore. Like that's it. I thought I really thought Gustafson was going to be able to stay on his bike and jab, and he just. I mean, Verdum had that tenacity, you know, he knew so here's here's the thing. And I probably should have thought more about this. And who knows, maybe Verdum will pop. We'll see. His body didn't look great, but it's a contract fight for Verdum. He's not going to stay in the UFC, but he's going somewhere and he's going to get paid. And he went in there and like just chased down a victory. Highly, highly motivated when your next paycheck or next contract is on the line, I suppose. No joke, but there's another aspect to it. I didn't know this leading uh, into the recording of our last episode, but Fabricio Verdum actually was really hampered by the uh, by the pandemic and by the lockdowns, and that's why he showed up in such terrible shape in his last fight against Alexei Olenek. I think a lot of people, including me, assumed that you get popped for testosterone and then you come back a couple of years later looking like you're pudgy, we're all going to come to the conclusion that you were, in fact, on steroids for a long time, which he probably was on and off, right? But Yeah, he's looked pudgy before. I mean, it's, you right, know, Verdum, Verdum's shape into has this been fight. very fluid. Yep. He came into this fight just two, a little more than two months later in much better shape. Just he looked physically better. Yep. He never looks, you know, phenomenal. He never has a six pack, but man, he looked terrible physically in that Olympic fight. And in the third round, man, he was putting it on Alexi. So, you know, his conditioning was still somewhat there, which is surprising, right? But in this one, he walked in looking in shape. And here's the thing I talked about how if Fabricio Verdum gets Alexander Gustafsson's back, this fight is probably going to be over. That's exactly what happened. He took that back, but instead of that rear naked choke, he transitioned to a pretty fancy armbar. Took him about a minute and a half to lock it in because Gustafsson was meekly fighting it, I suppose. He but, fought. Pre- I mean, he fought pretty hard to not get to keep his hands together. He just I didn't mean, but, make the right decisions, man. Like you don't yeah. just want to keep your hands together. There's three or four. You're not, not going to right. Change. You're not going to win that, right? The leverage, right. the ba- the battle of physics there can only go on for so long especially against the natural heavyweight when you're coming yeah. up from 205. And honestly, Gustafsson, let's face it, looked a little pudgy himself, uh, or at least as pudgy as, as he can seemingly get. So, yeah, I mean, it's a shame. Gustafsson at this point is not high-level comp- uh, high uh, MMA fighter, unfortunately, and it's a shame. I think there's things that happened in his career that leveled him down that weren't entirely – he didn't get a fair shake, in my opinion. In some instances, that headbutt against Anthony Johnson, the close decision loss to uh, – uh, John Jones, I think that just a couple of things, if they had gone slightly differently in his career, we would have been talking about a very different legacy for Alexander Gustafsson, and maybe he would have earned those kinds of odds against Verdum in that instance, but that wasn't the case here. Uh, yeah, touched- I like to think about, let's just think, I mean, we, we got we to gotta keep cranking, but let's think about the good moments, which is that he had an early prospect loss to Phil Davis where he got subbed, and he bounced yeah. back and became elite after that. And not just the John Jones things, but his victory against Glover Teixeira. I can't remember if that was in Sweden or not, but that was a clinic against against a tremendous boxer. Gustafsson's hands looked amazing, Um, and he he ended up. I mean, just basically getting a guy to quit. Not that Teixeira quit, but he just he beat he just beat him until he had nothing left to give. And for a guy as tough as Glover Teixeira, that's a real accomplishment. Yeah, especially since Glover Teixeira, it's funny, is now 4-0 against young guns like Ion Kutelaba, Carl Robertson, Nikita Krylov, Anthony Smith. Yeah. And here we have the guy that you know thrashed him looking 
very, very human in these last few bouts. It's a shame, man, that he's in a three-fight losing skid. Uh, he didn't talk about retirement this time, so I guess that's a decent sign for him mentally. But, you know, he stayed pretty positive, but I, I don't see his prospects being very high anymore. It's honestly, it's getting to a point where I'm going to be uh, very saddened to see Alexander Gustafson compete. Um, a split decision win for Carlos Barza. You and I discussed this a little bit at the opening part of this episode. Um, well, I thought that Marina Rodriguez did enough in those two rounds. You thought that uh, Carlos Barsley did enough in the last two rounds. And look, a uh, decision for either girl here, it's not a robbery. I get that. I just feel like damage should really count for more. Like the That's the entire point of a fight. And especially since Carlos Barsley didn't try any submissions, she didn't get a dominant position, she stayed in guard and failed to land any meaningful ground to pound on Marina Rodriguez for about two or three minutes per round, and then Marina Rodriguez would just ravage her for about 30 to 30 to 60 seconds. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough for her. But Marina Rodriguez picks up her first official loss here. I still expect big things for her, but let's face it, that chick needs to seriously work on her takedown defense. She works with a great team, a bunch of good grapplers on there. It's getting to a point where there's little excuse to be getting taken down in probably most of your UFC fights at this point. So uh, Marina Rodriguez has a lot to work on. And Carlos Barza, good on her. She's on quite a bit of a streak. But all of her wins in this streak are extremely close decisions. Maybe not Birna Janjiroba, but Alexa Grasso, Michelle Watterson, and Marina Rodriguez, all either split or majority decision wins for her. Um, and yeah, then I guess, one thing, one thing uh, worth noting is that um, this is the first time I can remember three fights on the main card that went to decision being Esparza Rodriguez, Hua Nogueira, and Whitaker Till, that MMA decisions, the MMA media essentially is split down the middle on who won those fights. Um, really? It's either it's either completely even, or I think with Whitaker Till might have been one in favor of Whitaker. Um, but that's you don't usually see... Um, it's more likely that you see a bunch of people, uh, media, all in agreement that the judges got it wrong then you see uh, a 50-50 split with this many fights on a main card. Wow, you're not kidding. It's actually much closer with the Whitaker Till fight than I would have thought as far as uh, the MMA media's scoring that bout. That's, that is interesting. Yeah, very surprising. Very close bouts, all three of them. And at least two of them, I thought, could have gone either way. Uh, we're going to throw out a quick special mention to Kamzat Shemaev. I know he's being declared the, like, the next Khabib and who can possibly beat him should he be fighting for a title and that sort of thing. That's insanity. The guy is extremely talented. He's been dominant in the UFC against two guys that, let's face it, are not necessarily UFC level. His first UFC win was over John Phillips, who is like one in four, one in five in the UFC at this point. Like he's a terrible fighter and it was dominant. And I give him props for that. His second fight was against Reese McKee, who used to fight at 155 and is making his UFC debut on short notice here. Whereas uh, Kamzat Chimaev made his UFC debut at 185. So 30 pounds above Reese's regular fighting weight. So look, I would love to see him against a viable opponent before I declare him the greatest fighter of all time at eight and zero. Yeah, yeah, but I don't very think, talented prospect. It's just, I mean, here, listen. Here's why people are excited. He looks incredibly athletic. He's got, yeah. he's got a, a cool name and a cool aesthetic. Like he's just, and the fact of the matter he's is, he's got some personality he looks, too. He's got some personality, and he's got the kind of personality that like MMA fans, myself included, seem to get be able to get behind. Yep. Um, right now. But also, the, his opponents, and I know you're right that the, with respect to the level of these opponents. But like Michael Johnson against Khabib, like a lot of Khabib's opponents, when he, you really see, he rendered both of these guys helpless and looking like there was looking on their faces like they wanted to be anywhere else in the world. 
Yeah. And not not a lot of not a lot of fighters get in there and get and get a, a professional fighter to give up their poker face. Um, like within 45 but, seconds. Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. Within, within, four, within 45 seconds. So he's just like, you know, is it going to be a Houston Alexander situation? I don't think so. Is he the next? No, I, I hope so. But we don't know. Yeah. Um, but man, I like must he's right now. He's must see TV. And I'm a I'm a big fan, and I hope he goes far. I agree. Really impressive stuff from Shumayev. I look forward to seeing him compete. But again, give him some decent competition. Don't throw him up to the wolves just yet. Like if he's a real prospect, let's treat him like one. He's only eight fights into his career. Let's let I don't, him figure this out. Yeah, they're talking Maya. I don't want to see him fight Maya yet. Like, I, I mean, look, do I want to see the fight? Yes. Do I think it's the right matchup for him at this point? No. I mean, look, there's a chance that he has serious power, comes out, does, right? And he might be able to avoid takedowns against Maya. He might be able to get top position and be okay. But I don't know, man. That's risky, dude. Like, Maya will tie you up on the ground. He is more technical both on the ground and standing up. It's just that comes out is going to be way stronger, presumably. Uh, well, not way. He's going to be stronger physically, but he's also hits way harder. Like, comes out when he hits guys. It's not the highest level of technique, but they shut the fuck off, Nick. Like, a one clean shot. The guy is not only very strong in the grappling sense, but also very powerful uh, when it comes to kind of having those heavy knockout hands. And uh, yeah, uh, it would be so interesting. Uh, but you match it's him not up ideal. against? I mean, look, if if we're looking at the top 10 of the middleweight division or the welterweight division, we're talking, we're having very different conversations. I think if you're going well, to fight, him, I mean, he's fighting, he's, he's fighting going to fight welterweight, right? Yes. Uh, I, well, I, I, he sounds like he's open to both. He even, I think, talked about 205. Uh, he mentioned it in kilograms that he'd fight at 84, 84 kilos or whatever it is. So here's the thing. I think the winner of that Vincente Luque fight coming up this weekend mm-hmm. uh, with Randy Brown, that would be a great next I fight agree. for him. That's what I was going to say. That would be very much prospect versus prospect. And I think he'd have, honestly, an on-paper edge over those guys who are mostly strikers. Can they avoid his takedowns is the question. And then we've got guys like Joff Neal. That's going to be a stern test for him. Michael Chiesa could be a stern yeah, test. Yeah, that's, that's, a, not that's like one I'd like. Worst case. I think that's the one I'd want to see. That's like, uh, all right, who's really going to level up here? Because you got Magni Neal. I think Luke, Luke or Kesa both make sense, assuming that Luke beats Randy Brown, but we can talk about that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, we can. So uh, just a quick special mention, Jesse Ronson, upset knockout over Nicholas Dalby. Really impressive. I talked about how he has serious power, and that could be a danger to Dalby, and that's how it turned out. Francisco Trinaldo, huge third-round knockout over Jay Herbert, who looked good. I talked about Jay Herbert being a real prospect. His, well, his, his first didn't hands. look great in the first round. It's, he looked really good no. in the second round as Trinaldo yeah, got tired. I agree. What did you think about the, the Herb Dean-Dan Hardy controversy here? Um, I think it's. it turns out Dan Hardy's actually friends with Jay Herbert, and what, da- what happened was Dan Hardy uh. started yelling out that Herb should stop the fight, stop the fight, as Jay Herbert was laying on his back after the knockdown, as Trinaldo was kind of standing over him. And then after, as Herb Dean was walking outside the octagon, apparently Dan Hardy got up and started yelling at him. And after I found <laughs> out that Jay Herbert is a good friend of Dan Hardy's and trains at the same team as Dan Hardy is associated with, I I understood why, but that doesn't make it okay. Dan Hardy needs to keep shit professional. Uh, we've heard uh, Daniel Cormier talk, uh, you know, announce for his buddies when they're fighting, and he doesn't get that biased. Granted, that specific situation hasn't come up, but look, you got to keep your, your your shit tight about you. And I would I would honestly respect him a little more if he apologized. Now, can he criticize Herb Dean? Yes. Can he yell out in the middle of a fight that he should stop the fight? 
No, man, not in that kind of I, circumstance. That could be the corner yeah. that's saying that. That could be the commissioner that's saying that, right? Herbie doesn't know. So, no, you don't interfere in a fight. That's not your place. And I know that announcers have done that before, but when you have an, a, an arena with a huge crowd, it's one thing. When you have, you know, a, basically a medium-sized room with, like, 80 people in there, that's a very different situation. You're going to get hurt by that ref, and that might just affect the outcome of the fight. Yeah, a couple a couple of quick thoughts. Uh, Herb has doubled down since then. Uh, and says, and uh, so is Hardy to some extent. Hardy sent out an email, um, but I also I think he got in the cage and said something to her. But maybe that I can't. I don't know if that's the case. Or I know he definitely yelled "stop the fight" during commentary. But right. I thought he went in the cage and said something. I think um, Herb was coming fight. out and walked by him, and he oh, literally okay. got up, walked up to the glass that would separate them, and started yelling and pointing at Herb Dean. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was that bad. What made it really bad was Hardy's terror. Um, yeah, you know, it was, yeah, that's the thing that bias can create that kind of weird circumstance. And that's why maybe fighters need to say it early on. Like this is actually just full disclosure. This is actually a, a friend of mine. So uh, I might be a little bit closer to this fight than I am to the average fight. I'm going to try to stay as unbiased as I can kind of thing. Like that would be nice if any of these guys did that, whether it be Paul weird. Felder, DC, yeah. or in this case, Dan Hardy. What surprised me was, and I guess he was moving forward into the shot a little bit. Usually we see that kind of response from like a temple shot, but he it's almost like he hit him on the crown, like the top of the head at like an awkward yeah. angle. Very rare to get a knockout there. It was very, yeah, it was very, and not just, yeah, not just a knockout, but that physical response. Like he responded as though he, he, he had gotten clocked on the temple. So I don't mean, I don't know enough about, you know, uh, brain, you know, neurology, brain physiology, what have you, but I know the, that the front, the forehead and the, and the top there, the front is supposed to be the hardest part of the head. Yeah. Um, so I was surprised, but a lot of, I guess, you know, a lot of impact, perfect timing, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but you didn't, you know, no one thought the fight was going to go that way after that second round. Everyone was like, shit, Trinaldo gassed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was definitely worried for Trinaldo there. And honestly, I was kind of excited about the, uh, potential of a new prospect kind of making that impressive of a UFC debut against a grizzled, successful veteran. But it wasn't meant to be for Herbert, not yet at least. I think he should take some time off and, uh, and then come back and get more of an entry-level welcome to the UFC. Jesse Ronson, knockout over Nicholas Dalby, impressive stuff. Tom Aspinall, as expected, over a, uh, a very fat Jake Collier, was able to get that first-round knockout. Mofsar Eflov, out position out grinded Mike Grande just out toughed him really good stuff by Evlov we expected him to have better conditioning and he did Tanner Bozer weird Tiki over uh Pazow um he you know anyway he put it it was a punch and Pazow acted like it was an eye poke Paniki and Zod went over Bechkorea by decision and uh, Nathaniel Wood picked up a victory as well as did Ramazan Emiyev anything to mention about those bouts Nick before we move on to our next segment uh no 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 let's let's do it let's get our picks in Let's do the shit, Nick. Another win for Stan coming up. Welcome back. And Nick and I are now going to get to the MMA Geeks draft. And as many of you guys know, the way we do it is that each of us pick fighters that are competing on the upcoming card. And at the end of Saturday's event, whichever of us has the most winning fighters ends up walking away with the victory. Nick, you have the first pick this week, my friend. What is your pick? Oh, boy. I really hope I, I blew my first pick on the last fight. What was the... 
Oh, it was, uh, no, wasn't Molly Rosakal Hassan? Oh, oh, God, yeah, that didn't, uh, that oh, did man. not go very well, did it? All right, well, I'll roll the dice a little bit here. This is not the fight I have the most to say to say about, but I think it's probably the safest bet on the card, um, which is the opener. Uh, Chris Gutierrez, a UFC uh, veteran who's looked pretty good, is fighting uh, more of a regional scene guy who is taking the fight on late notice after just fighting on July 18th uh, in NFC, uh, a fellow named Cody Durden. Um, I just, you know, haven't seen a ton of tape on Durden, but I feel like this is a, you know, a regional guy getting the call up. Like, does he have a shot? Yes, but like Gutierrez is more seasoned, more experienced, probably better. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think Durden's gonna show him anything he hasn't seen before. Uh, so I feel like this is good. If there, sure, he, Durden could do what other late notice guys have done, which is just completely go for it, um, kind of go completely nuts, and uh, you know get get a, a knockout. It one at this weight class though at, at one thirty five. That's le- I think slightly less likely, and that Gutierrez should be able to get a, a pretty convincing victory against a newcomer on late notice in his UFC debut. So it's hard to find recent footage on Durbin. I know he trains with American Top Team Atlanta, which is a pretty high-level team. He has a solid wrestling background and looked pretty aggressive against overmatched opponents, like at least as of a few years ago. That's how far back you got to go to find tape on this guy. Gutierrez is a nasty kicker. If he can fight at that range, he'll win every time. He's given up four takedowns in his four UFC fights thus far, though. and Well, between his four UFC fights. So it is risky. not so bad. No, true, but Cody Durbin is like an explosive, aggressive wrestler. So there's definitely concern in this one. I think the odds are a little bit too far apart for that reason. It's also weird that you can't find recent footage on Cody, but I'll let slightly towards Gutierrez. This would not have been my first pick, uh, but I, I just feel like the style matchup might be dangerous for Gutierrez in this one. If he can keep it at range, he's going to do great, but Cody seems like the push-forward, pressure wrestler kind of guy, and he's like tosses guys around at least like lower level guys so i figure he should be able to potentially get a takedown or two against gutierrez but he might gas because he didn't have any notice so i do hear you on the pick well he did I, fight um, he did fight two weeks ago so i mean how out of oh shape that, he that, that's actually a very good point yeah that probably is to his credit he's probably in pretty good shape but yeah i i wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a bet to be made here on uh cody durbin but you know i'll, I'll edge toward gutierrez ever so slightly because i can actually find footage on him and he had an impressive kick based victory last time my first pick is going to be ray borg to beat nathan manis nick manis is a good pressure striker with some power 11 and 1 overall 1 and 1 in his last two fights whereas ray borg is a perennial top contender at 125 pounds has to move up to 135 now because he can't really make weight at 125 anymore trains in albuquerque he's a pressure grappler with fast hands and to be honest he's small for 135 Borg is a master at besting debuting prospects. Manis, Manis doesn't look doesn't like to be pressured, and he will be pressured into the fence. He'll be taken down several times here, so I expect that Borg should be able to walk away with a clear cut decision win. Yeah, I had that I had that one pretty far up too. Uh, wasn't in my top three, but it was pretty pretty far up there. Um, uh, at one thirty five, uh, my next pick is going to be um, the younger, talented. Jonathan Martinez to defeat uh, Frankie Science, who's looked a, a little bit older and a little bit slower uh, recently. I think this is a this is a prospect. Pardon me, a prospect gatekeeper 
uh, kind of bout and like science could pull it out. But I think that I think this is one of those one of those fights where, um, you know, vo- volume endurance. Um, I thought that the, uh, that he certainly Martinez could have uh, been given the Andre Ewell decision. Thought that was a, a little weird. Um, I but did too. I think this is I think this is a, I think this is a very I think this is a winnable fight for him. He's just a he's a bigger, longer dude. I got to check the reach, but I'm pretty sure that he's got a, a good reach advantage. Um, so I see him if he can keep science off of him, who's almost 40. Uh, yeah, so a couple three inches shorter, two inches less reach. Um, science has has the experience, but he hasn't had. um yeah, it's been a couple. It's been two years since he's had a UFC win. He had the split decision against uh, Marab Devalavici, uh, De but that was a while ago, and it was in Devalavici's uh, split decision, and it was in his debut, um, and a, you know, a series of losses before that. I just, I think this is prospect versus old guard, and more times than not, I just, I think that the, the prospect wins. Um, so that's that's kind of what I see here. Martinez is a sneaky, solid striker, but can give up takedowns and can tend to lose a competitive decision. If it's close, Sainz is a wrestler with okay stand-up. He's 39 years old. You alluded to the fact that he's almost 40, and he's coming off a 17-month layoff here. He has a win over Mirab Devashvili, but lost three of his last five fights. I'll favor Martinez over the aging veteran, like, like you said. I don't know if I would have had this quite as high. Martinez trains with Factory X, which is a good team, but... Science trains with Fight Ready MMA with Henry Cejudo, Drakkar Close, Tracy Cortez, which is a really solid team. It's a really quickly coming up team. So I could see Science getting takedowns for a decision here, but he's not super durable at this point in his life. I think if he gets hit clean a few times, Martinez should be able to take advantage of that. So I do favor Martinez, but um, it could possibly be close if Science can get his takedown his takedowns going yeah i mean you're saying he would have this i mean for me a lot of these fights were very close to pickums i didn't feel like there was a bunch of obvious early picks and obvious late picks on this card yeah i I think i'm i think i'm largely there with you my next pick and i mean here's here's where in my opinion it gets tough even though there are several big favorites left on the list here i'm going to edge toward the young prospect in the main event toward edmund shabazian to beat Derek brunson but i think the odds here are way oh yeah too wide you know apart. you're right they are I, I had this this is going to be like my seventh pick we just yeah. don't know enough we just don't know enough yet like yes instinct is right that that brunson shits the bed in these kind in these kind of fights but we've we just haven't seen enough on the 22 year old to you know to know well, yeah, especially since Brunson's actually at a really good point in his career, two wins in a row over, you know, notable competition. Um, he's a perennial top 10 fighter at middleweight. Brunson is reinvigorated his career recently, training at Hard Knocks 365. Before that, he'd been training basically with his own team where he was kind of the coach and he was kind of the fighter too. It was a weird situation and he wasn't having success. Suddenly, he's in a really good point. He's much more patient using his wrestling now, using his sharp left hand instead of just as a blitz, just a nonstop early blitz. He's actually using it methodically now and he's not burning out his gas tank early anymore, which is honestly his big issue in the past, right? He's only lost to the three champs, Adesanya, Whitaker, and Silva, and two of the most dangerous guys at middleweight, Romero and Jacare. So, like, is Edmund Shabazzian really on that level yet? I don't know. He's got serious power in his left hand, solid wrestling defense and offense for Bronson, and he's pretty he has pretty good control on top. 
Edmund Shabazzian trains under Rousey's old coach, Edmund Tarverdian, and is actually managed by Ronda Rousey. He has good hands with power, solid ground and pound if he gets on top. He finished 10 of 11 opponents in the first round, and that's part of what concerns me. He doesn't really have that longevity. And has one three-round fight, which was in his UFC debut against Darren Stewart. And that third round, he, it was looking rough for him. He wasn't looking that fresh, even though he did really well in the first two rounds. This is going to be a five-round fight. If he can't get uh, no, it's actually there. it's actually a three round main event. You're kidding! Come oh. on, man, do your homework. Because remember, it's supposed to be Holly home against Irene. Yeah, uh, no, I, I was aware yeah. of that. I'm just shocked that they left as a as a three rounder. I didn't even bother to check because I figured both guys would agree to five rounds. But honestly, that favors Shabazzian in a much bigger way than I expected. I don't expect Brunson to finish in the third round if Shabazzian is tired by then. So I actually have a lot more confidence in Shabazzian for that reason. Now he's got serious killer instinct. Uh, Kind of a kind of a takedown focused game plan against good strikers, and he won't really have that option here, in my opinion. Look, Shabazzian lands more per minute. He has better accuracy. He absorbs less per minute, and has better defense percentages than Brunson does standing up. Um, he gets more takedowns, has better takedown accuracy, and he tries for more submissions. So a lot of the stats are really on his side, but I don't know if that's factoring in Brunson's recent kind of reemergence into a, a high level fighter. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Shabazzian, especially in this round. Yeah. I've got a lot more confidence now that you said that. Well, here's here's the thing. I'm going to. I mean, I would. I'm going to pick Shabazzian also, but it's dangerous to sleep on Derek Brunson. Like, I agree. Yes, he is an he is kind of a bridesmaid fighter, um, but his problem. I mean, you mentioned his gas tank is his big problem. I've always thought it was his fight IQ. Um, he, I agree. He, his strategy against Whitaker, um, even though he had he put him in trouble, his strategy against Whitaker was not great. The way that he, he paced himself in the Romero fight was not, you know, it was not great. Um, he, he he has a tendency to, like, lose his cool and forget technique. I think he has a path to victory here, but he's got to make this fight ugly. Like, here's the thing. He's probably stronger than than Shabazian, and he has pretty pretty world-class wrestling pedigree. He was, a, you know, he was, was he, I don't remember if he's D1 or D2, but regardless, he was an elite wrestler. Uh, an elite wrestler who, D2. you know, D two, but so was Usman. So like, yeah. you know, D two, like, um, yeah. But Usman he's got, was he's a got D two champion, whereas uh, right. Brunson was Brunson just was a D two competitor, D2 still a good wrestler yeah. though. Yeah, but the the fact is that if he's, it's going to be in strength, and I believe in in wrestling that he may have an advantage. So over three rounds, he's the real strategy here should be to make this fight ugly. If he stands at range and gets into gets in a kickboxing fight, I don't think he's going to be fast enough probably not i mean technical might be the wrong word creative enough he can get into some real trouble when he uh against against Shabazzian the same way he did against Adesanya uh, that yep. way when he wasn't able to implement his game plan but he may be able to push this guy up against the cage without taking too much damage and and grind him out and wear him out we don't know i think it's at least possible that that happens and i won't i won't be surprised if if we go into this third round, not knowing if Brunson, if Brunson up two, not knowing if he's going to have the energy to stay out of the, stay out of um, Shabazzian doing a kickboxing match or, or, you know, or kind of smother him. But I think if Brunson wrestles, he's got a shot. If, if he has a kickboxing fight, it's going to be a lot like the Adesanya fight. Yeah, and he's been a lot more likely to wrestle lately. He's had a little bit of a resurgence, and he's had a really good mental and physical point in his career. So the guy's a real shot. Look, those he's stats that I mentioned. He's 36 against 22. It's like a big age yeah. difference. But yeah, yeah no, I, two I sides agree. To but, that. He, 
but he is an experienced mature 22 when it comes to at least technique like according to ronda rousey the kid would come into the gym when he was like 12 13 years old with his brother they would have these 10th planet jiu-jitsu books they'd be so obsessed with mma they would only talk about technique they would be trying and experimenting stuff so this kid at 22 23 years old he's been doing this a long time he's been refining this craft a long time and he's been passionate about this craft for the majority of his career really so i do think he's a mature 23 year old but i will say all those strike uh, all those stat advantages that shabazzian has is against significantly lower level of competition than brunson has been competing against so much easier to have you know higher strike rate and take less shots and get more takedowns against lower level of competition yeah i mean the the other the other distinction is that shabazzian's of the generation of guys who came up training for the sport of modern of modern mma Yes. He was he was pro, he was nine or ten years old at you when UFC 100 happened, right? Yeah. If we're doing our math, maybe maybe eleven. But he was a kid. I mean, he was a kid yes, when sir. GSP, you know, fought Tiago Alves and Brock Lesnar fought, um, you know, Frank Mir. So it's not like he started as a as a judo guy or started as a wrestler or a Muay Thai guy. He's been training for this sport as it has existed over the last ten to fifteen years, and that's a huge huge distinction. I will say though it's odd, but he's a Shotokan karate black belt, Nick, which is fascinating. Oh, that's right. But you're that's right. right. He, he's he's a guy that like literally trained for MMA with MMA in mind. If you were 10 years old when GSP was was in his heyday, wouldn't you be a Shotokan karate black belt? <laughs> that's a very good point, Nick. I love that. What's your next pick, buddy? Oh, I got a pick. I just like building on your picks. All right. What do I got here? There's a there's a couple of interesting fights. Jeez. All right, I'm going to skip that one. I don't want to pick it yet. I'll do um, – I'm going to pick Vincente Luque over Randy Brown. I just think uh, Luque is more creative, more inventive, has uh, better – I mean, fight IQ is probably not right, but maybe, I don't know, like just kind of like poise. I feel like he dictates and controls a fight uh, better than Randy Brown is, and I think he's a, I think he's a legitimate finisher. Um, and Randy Brown has been finished. So I think Randy Brown's, you know, I think he's good. I think he's a good fighter. I, I just think that uh, I, I think Luque is is on the I don't know. I don't think he'll ever be elite, but he's on the cusp. And I, I just think he's a level above Randy Brown. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of reason to kind of come to that conclusion, but I don't think it's that simple. Brown is tall and rangy. He's made big improvements lately coming off of wins over Brian Barberina and Warley Alves. Now, Barberina recently had a war with Luque that Luque was lucky enough to win in that third round. Whereas, honestly, Randy Brown was kind of piecing up Barbarina, even though Barbarina yeah. did start to come alive in that but, second round. But we round. talked about that. Barbarina came back way too fast and did not look like the same fighter in that fight. And so it wasn't because to- he got totally, hurt early. I totally bought that when you said it, right? And that does make a lot of sense because he didn't take that fight long after. But uh, after the Luque fight, Barbarina took that uh, Brown fight and looked looked not not as good as usual. But here's the thing. The first round, Brown clearly was the better man. And that second round, Barbarina started to put it on him like he always does. Because I don't know if you remember that first round with Luque, it was the same thing. Barbarina was getting it put on him. And then that second round, he came alive and started fighting him. And that's how this went, except in the third round, in the second round, Brown continued the lead. He still stayed a step above. And then in that third round, he was able to finish him with a big shot. Um, whereas Luque was kind of barely surviving like half that fight as he finished 
uh, Randy uh, Barbarina. So look, maybe there's an argument to be made there, but still, like those are impressive wins, and he looked good in them. Uh, both of those wins over Alves and Barbarina were by finish. He can be taken down and held down, which is a big concern for me. He's actually a local tri-state fighter, and he and I have some training partners in common, like uh, Wayne Barrett, who used to be a top uh, top number one contender, I think, in Glory. Um, but I have not had the chance to train with him yet. I would love to do that. Luke is a solid pressure fighter. His offensive kicks are really good. And what he does is he kicks you at a distance, makes you want to come in with punches, and then he counters your punches with really, really sharp boxing technique. He almost never goes for takedowns, which is a concern here because there's a clear path to beating Randy Brown. If you can get four takedowns on him in a three-round bout, you're probably going to take the decision I think this is largely a pick'em, despite the odds. Brown is way bigger, but doesn't defend kicks well. Luke hits harder, but is at a reach disadvantage. Um, I'm giving the edge to Luke because we know he's extremely tough. We know that he has an incredible chin, and he will throw calf kicks. And I, I think that right. Brown, on top of being susceptible to takedowns, will be susceptible to those calf kicks. And I hope that Luke, if he's smart, goes for the take those takedowns because if he doesn't, then Brown has a decent shot at looking good here. Uh, now that you're done, are you going to pick that up off the floor? Pick what up? The names you dropped. Um, God damn it. So, what, what names did I drop? It was just one name. Jeez. I think there were like maybe two in there. Anyway, just there was just, one you know, name. Well, just, get the, just get the dust buster. Make sure you get it all. All right. Um, all right. I'll get it after the podcast. Uh, my next pick, Nikolai, is going to be <laughs> I will take this. Uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. I'm going to take in the Marcus Perez versus Eric Spicely matchup. Yeah, Nick. that's a tough one. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take Perez. Uh, Perez is a jack of all trades, but he's like pretty good at most of those things. He does tend to slow down in the last half of the fight, which is concerning. Um, so I will favor Perez's kind of overall abilities over Spicely's mostly jujitsu. Spicely's stand up has been looking solid lately, uh, but but yeah, I just feel like Perez is more athletic, and that's who Spicely usually usually loses to. Spicely might look good late in the fight where once Perez is tired, but I think it'll be too late for him to pick up a submission victory where Perez is actually really good on the ground as well. So I'm favoring Marcus Perez to pick up the win. Yeah, I had this as my third pick and I kept ignoring it because I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Fair enough. And I didn't feel I just didn't feel great about it. It's like a pretty good fighter against a dude with a weird body who loses a lot. And I'm just like, but mate, but has spazzy cardio, like really good tenacity and and. Yes. potentially could submit him. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you probably, probably should have taken that fight earlier. I mean, he does. I'm not that, ex- I'm not that excited to watch Diego that Santos. fight. Yeah. 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 I'm not that, that excited to watch it, but I actually, I actually think this fight will be entertaining. It'll be exciting to watch. And I'm interested to see whether Perez's athletic advantage or Eric Spicely's will, will win out. There's some intrigue there for me, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going with the more athletic guy. What's your next um, pick, buddy? My next pick is I'm going to go, with the syndicate uh, MMA fighter uh, Joe Joanna Jojo Calderwood uh, to defeat Jennifer Maya, uh, I think the odds should be a little bit closer here than minus one hundred and sixty plus one hundred and forty. Jojo um, was supposed to; it was on the cusp of a title shot. I think she was booked for a title shot. Yep. Um, so, but she's coming in here, I believe, as a as a late but not super late replacement, and you know she's she's shown a lot of improvement and variety. Uh, outside of her already established and quality kickboxing game. Maya is a, a jack-of-all-trades fighter, but she looked uh, slow against Chukagan. She looked good in her second fight against Roxy, um, 
but Jojo trains with Roxy, who's fought Maya twice. So the fact that your your everyday training partner has fought your opponent two times over six rounds, and that Calderwood has, I think, much better. Um, she's, she's good from the bottom. She's got great kickboxing, better kickboxing than Maya, and I don't think. I don't think Maya will be able to take her down and hold her down enough to get a decision victory. So I think if I think if Joanne shows up uh, healthy and fights as well as she can, that she should be able to win. A, a, I think a pretty clear cut um, decision. I think she'll probably piece up Maya on the feet and be good enough um, in the clinch to uh, do some damage. The danger is if she ends up on her back and falls too, and you know falls in love with her going for subs and stuff and loses top con- and loses to like a, you know, kind of like a top control decision. But I think that's, you know, it's unlikely enough that I, that I'm picking her, you know, at this stage in the game of our game, I should say. I definitely think that this will be a very close decision as Joanne Calderwood and Jennifer Maya always fight to super close decisions at kind of this, you know, top 15 level. Calderwood is a perennial top 10 fighter at 115 and at 125 in the UFC. Number three now at uh, flyweight. Trains at Syndicate MMA, like you mentioned. She is actually engaged to John Wood, who is the head coach of the team. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, she took this fight on 12 days' notice after Viviana Rujo tested positive for COVID 19. Uh, She's always in the gym, mostly because she lives with the head coach, is kind of my logic, right? Like, that's why I'm favoring Calderwood ever so slightly. She has kind of a good Muay Thai focused style, good boxing, and very good kicks. Not great takedown defense, and she has been, however, better at getting up lately, whereas she used to just lay on her back and hope for a submission. She eventually gets up at this point in her career. Jennifer Maya is number six at flyweight. She has wins over Roxanne Matafari and Alexis Davis, losses to Liz Carmouche and Caitlin Chukagin. In fact, most of these both of these girls have uh, two common opponents, Chukagin and Jessica Andrade, and both girls lost to both of those women. Now, she missed weight in her last two fights, Jennifer Maya did. So that's something to keep an eye on here. She might have to be forced to move up to 135 after this one. Calderwood has the edge in height, reach, UFC experience. Despite the fact that she took this on 12 days notice, like I said, she is always in the gym. Calderwood is quite a bit busier. She lands a lot more per minute. She has better accuracy. She absorbs less strikes per minute. She actually surprisingly gets more takedowns than Maya, but Maya has better takedown defense. I'm picking Calderwood, who I assume is always training. I'm concerned about her takedown defense, uh, but if she can keep it at kicking rate, she should win a very close decision. Like I said, I, I could see Maya. She's going to be smart enough to go for takedowns, and she's going to score some points with that, and that's what I think will bring this uh, very close. Also, Maya has better boxing, and if she can get into that range, she should do well there. So I do think yep. this should be a pick em. And I, th- I think... I mean, the other thing to consider is like a sh- a shot at Shevchenko is on the line here for Calderwood. She was she was that fight was being made, or if it wasn't made, I think it was booked. It was booked, yeah. And then Shevchenko had to pull out. Yeah, it's it, she's putting it at risk by taking this fight, so she's going to be ready. Right? Like, why are you doing this, Joanne? Like, this is not. I, I I think it's kind of a silly idea. She's number three facing number seven. She's only got one win leading into the title shot. So, like, maybe she can say that she deserves it more if she picks up a victory here. I think it's just as likely that she loses a close decision. So, my Possible. next pick, Nikolai, is going to be in the Lando Venata versus Bobby Green matchup. Now, my first thought was like, I want to watch tape on both of these guys to see how they match up, and uh, you We've know, already and I can kind of they envision. fought. You exactly. know how they match up. Exactly. The, the fact that this is a rematch kind of made my tape watching a little bit easier. I just had to watch that 
uh, one fight. Lando is a creative kicker, solid boxer, good takedowns, has great reflexes for head movement, but can be tagged if pressured. Uh, he wears plenty of facial damage. Like he could take like five shots and look like he's been fucked up for 25 minutes. And he does, I think this is his biggest detriment. He slows down later in a fight or at some point he just loses his focus and stops using his reflexes to avoid his opponent's strikes. Bobby Green is a slick boxer. He can be super effective with the strikes, but doesn't throw enough. His chin is starting to falter a little bit. He's got pretty good takedown defense, but great at getting up if he is taken down. In their first flight, which took place in 2017, Venata dominated the first round, almost finishing with strikes, landing a takedown, and almost finishing with a submission, all in that first round. The problem is that he went for a knee while uh, Bobby Green was on his way up to the feet. He ended up landing it with his kind of inner thigh, right? So he didn't land a clean knee, but he still lost a point, even though Bobby Green wasn't that hurt, even though Bobby Green was terribly hurt by legal strikes right before that. So Bobby Green got a major break there. It became a 9-9 round instead of a 10-8. And then in the second round, Green landed more, but Lando hurt him again and got a late takedown. So second round, let's say you edge it toward Green. The third round, Lando came on strong again, and then it ended up being a draw. So basically the first round, 9-9, and then one round apiece. So for that reason, I like Venata to counter him several times, land a couple takedowns for the win. I think that just some like weird, weird luck led to the decision going the way it did. He hurt Bobby Green at least twice in that bout, took him down several times, uh, was really good at slipping and countering Bobby Green several times in the bout, even though he kind of a little bit got a little bit lazy in that second round. So I like Lando Venata. He showed that he's a better fighter as long as he can put it together, which is, to be fair, a big question mark. He should do well here. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is a tough one to pick for a couple of reasons. Like, Lando Venata's performances are kind of unpredictable, and Bobby Green always seems to be a guy who fights to the level of his competition. True. And it, everything's competitive. It doesn't matter. He could be fighting a fucking tree outside and it would get competitive or he could be fighting like a top eight guy and the same thing like it's yeah. uh so i ex- i ex- i think a split decision is very possible i think that you know venata is the younger guy and has a psychological advantage of having done all that damage but this is not a pick i was looking forward to making because you just don't know when either of these guys fight what the hell is going to happen yeah i mean you mentioned that they're usually close fights i don't disagree and even though that fight was a draw like Lando really put it on him in two of those rounds, man. Like, yeah, I, I like, yeah, that's I, my pick. I, I mean, my picks, my picks, Venata, but yeah. coming off of the Guida, the Guida win, like, I don't know. Green's just a tough dude, man. I wouldn't yeah, be I surprised. Uh, I agree. So let's see. What do we got left here? We got three fights left, Nick. Oh boy. All right. I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to pick Kevin Holland against Trevin Giles in a fight between two guys. I don't really like that much. Um, <laughs> I just I don't like watching them. I don't like Kevin Holland's mic work afterwards or how he talks a big game after getting victories and fights that he might probably have lost. didn't deserve. Yeah. I agree. Um, but Trevin Giles, I don't know, man. He doesn't. My experience watching him is that he doesn't fight confidently and he kind of fights like a part time fighter, which is what he is. He's a police officer, I believe. Right. And I think that, you know, gifted athletic dude, I just don't get the sense that. And when you watch him fight, do you really feel like he he completely wants to be there? I don't know. I just I feel like um, Kevin Holland loves all aspects of uh, being a fighter. is more is more gifted. Um, I think he probably has more experience at this point. Um, certainly in bigger fights against against bigger names. Um, and I, I I would be very surprised if uh, if Trevin Giles was able to. 
uh, was able to take its Holland here. I would not be surprised if Giles picks up the win here. I think this yeah. is very close. I mean, this is the reason that this is one of our last three picks. Like, it, it's it, very it, close it on is, paper. It is, but that's because it's more because I don't have a ton of faith in Holland, and I feel great about Giles. Well, well, th- well, that's the thing. Like, like, there's reason to not have a ton of faith in either guy, and there's reason to believe that this could be like a super close grappling match. There's also reason to believe that Trevor Giles is going to have a good edge on the feet. Giles, like you said, recently became a Houston cop. He's got explosive distance closing strikes confident on the ground and he doesn't throw enough ground and pound which is the one kind of critique i'd have of him on the floor but very close competitive fight with gerald mirchard in fact trevin giles was down like i thought having better moments in that back and forth fight and then in the third round he ended up getting caught and you know kevin holland had an extremely close fight with gerald mirchard as well and he probably should have lost that fight but picked up a decision somehow so Holland is a tall grappler. He wins super close fights for the most part. Interesting personality, but I'm still figuring his odd, odd style out. He doesn't like to be pressured, and Giles doesn't really pressure. That's why I'm favoring Holland very slightly. He's much taller. He goes for ground and pound, which means that when they go back and forth on top position on the ground, uh, Holland will score a little bit more with the ground and pound, even though Giles should have the edge standing up. Uh, Giles blitzes in, but Holland is tall, so it's a lot of distance to cover, and it might not like I can see Holland not giving him enough room for that. Holland likes to be in that clinch in those close quarters, even though he claims to want to strike. Uh, but Giles is very capable on the ground and tends to engage there. And it's more athletic and more powerful in his strikes. So again, again, to me, this is very much a pick and fight, but I do agree with the pick. Yeah. Here's a little MMA math for you too. I think that um, Holland's loss to Brendan Allen has aged better than Giles's losses to Mearshart and Zach Cummings. I hear that. I, like Brendan, like Brent, like Brendan Allen's last fight. Like he's a, he's re, he's really good. <laughs> like there's no shame in getting choked out by Brendan Allen. I, agree, I mean, or or really by Gerald Mearshart, but it's like, I don't know. I, and Zach Cummings, I just, I mean, Zach, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like Gerald Mearshart, who probably should have deserved the win over Holland, right? Was yeah. able to choke Giles, but Giles was doing really well in that fight and better than was Holland. So outside of that one choke, yeah. like if he hadn't gotten that choke, that fight probably wouldn't have gone Mirchart's way. Zach Cummings also like it was a very competitive fight. And then in that third round, Cummings really put it on him and was able to get that submission. But Holland doesn't really finish with submissions late. And honestly, he doesn't have like a high finishing rate with submissions. He goes for a lot of them. He's a decent grappler. But yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of reason to think this is a close one. Yeah, I don't, it is a close one. And I don't think I don't think he's going to I don't think he's going to submit him. Yeah. Um, and that's how yeah, Giles has lost. Those are his only two losses was by third round submission after looking pretty good early. So again, a, a lot of reason to think that this could easily go either way. It really depends on who shows up. I think in that one, my next pick, Nick, and this is the last pick that we're going to make before you get to choose in the final pick for the tiebreaker. I guess I'll take Timur Valuev to beat Jamal Emers. Yeah. I, I definitely think there's some risk here. Emers is a good wrestler and a decent striker. He doesn't use his wrestling enough, which is why he lost his UFC debut to Jika Jigadze. Timur is a serious prospect at 135, but making his debut at 145 here. Excellent record on the Russian scene and went undefeated in PFL, which is super impressive. He's not like the most uh, like aggressive fighter in the world, but he's explosive when he wants to be, generally on his back foot, but Emers is not really much of a pressure fighter. Timur actually trains with Frankie Edgar under Mark Henry and Ricardo Almeida, so it's a high-level training camp. I favored Timur big for his explosive striking and variety of weapons. This could be a showcase for him if Emmers shows up looking like he did in his last fight. So he should be able to, uh, worst case, get up if he's taken down, possibly get a takedown on Emmers when he needs to, and he should be the better striker here. 
Yeah, I you? had the same. Yeah, Emmer's just kind of. I, we'll see. This is. A, I'm very curious to see this one. I don't think that we saw the best Jamal Emmer's in his. That was his debut, right? Against Chiki Jagasi. Yes. yes. Yeah. So I'm. I'm curious. And, and Valiev has a, uh, you know, a vaunted prospect. Someone else on the card has, has fought him twice. I can't remember who it was. It was Chris Gutierrez. Yes, Gutierrez yes. He, he, well, he was up. split. He split against him. Yeah, from what I understand, that first decision that he lost to Gutierrez was actually like, was actually like pretty controversial. He probably did not deserve to lose that fight, and I think that's his only the only loss on his record. And then, and then uh, the second time he was you know more dominant over Gutierrez was able to was able to pick up a decision victory there, a unanimous one. And but it okay, wasn't so an immediate rematch situation, which is kind of interesting. So now I'll make the pick in the tiebreaker that'll probably lose me the whole night, but uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I'm curious what your what your thoughts are here, but I'm going to pick the somewhat resur- resurgent Ed Short Fuse Herman, who we've been watching forever, um, to defeat Gerald Merchart. Uh, the the f- reason why is that Herman has fought uh, and defeated some uh, some quality grapplers. I think he hasn't been choked out and or hasn't been submitted in in 12 years. The last person to submit him, I think, was Damian Maya. Uh, way way back when Maya was coming up the middleweight ranks and he still has some I feel like Herman has a little bit of thunder Um, and he's looked he's looked really good physically uh, lately I think he's a good dirty boxer and he's a he's just a good old guard um, you know generalist MMA fighter so I this this may be suicide maybe he gets maybe he gets taken down and mounted and choked out really quickly (laughs) but I uh I, I force I foresee Ed Herman landing a short hook or something like that, and uh, and hurting Mearshart and and you know pro- if not finishing him, winning a decision. It's I mean, entirely possible. Herman is an aging veteran, solid grappling, improving stand up. He is slow as all heck, but really tough. Mearshart. Yeah, but Mearshart's not fast. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. Mearshart is not quite as tough, but he's a capable southpaw. Solid grappling and improving stand-up, kind of like Herman. He's also slow, but in my opinion, faster than Herman. Like, Gerald might be slow for 185, but Herman is slow for 205. He took this fight on two weeks' notice, Mirchart did, which is kind of part of what surprises me that he's such a decent-sized favorite. Mirchart tends to lose to athletic, fast opponents, and that's not Herman. Um, so even though this is a short-notice fight for Mirchart, I guess I'll take him. He's going to have that left body kick. He should do okay on the ground if he can get it there. And I know this is one weight division up for Mirchart, but I guess I'll give him the edge because he's still kind of, you know, in his medium to medium high level prime. And and Herman is in a weird place fighting at 205 in slow motion. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who's 24 and 14 against a guy who is 31 and 13. Um, yeah, even though Mirchart's a, a lot, a lot younger, this is a. Uh, I mean, we'll see. This, this could be this could be my my old. I've been watching this guy for twelve years, and I'm overestimating him. Um, you know, thing, but I don't know. I mean, look, the, the Herb, fact that Herman, this is at his weight division where he's been competing lately, the fact that he's had a training camp and his opponent hasn't. You know, there's a few things that go to his favor. The fact that he's tough and his opponent is kind of not. Like if you hurt Mirchart, it's probably over. He has heart, like, if you don't seriously hurt him and he can submit you in the third round after losing, you know, a couple of rounds to you. But let's face it, like, Herman is tougher. 
that well, could be a real factor here. He's not just t- I mean, he's tougher, but he's been in he's been in with some real uh either High wrestling level. or submission yeah. killers. Yep. And I mean, didn't he fight uh yeah, like J- you know, like Jake Shields. Um and I just don't I think he's going to if he doesn't get choked out, like I just think over 3 rounds he's going to land more punches. I think he's a I just think he's a better you know, he's not a great striker, but I think he's a better striker. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't at all be surprised. I don't blame you for for making that pick. That will do it for our MMA draft picks, Nikolai. We are going to take a break. This is it for Nick. He's getting back to work. I'm going to come back and give you guys my betting guide. Again, a 200 and like I think $45 profit Ugh. last week, 93% return on investment. I'm going to give you guys the lowdown on who to invest in for this one. Yeah, I might start getting back in on the gambling things and uh you know, I got to put my kid through school. So, I've heard it's a re- it's a responsible way to do that. Um, look, has your sponsor given you the uh, okay? Or are you allowed to talk about gambling on the show yet, Nick? It's uh, I'm in between sponsors right now. Uh, <laughs> there's, yeah, this card will be interesting. I mean, after my 13 and two performance, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with this one. I f- I feel I feel okay, but there's a there's a lot of pick 'em ish fights on here. Yeah, I agree. I'm quickly going to run through our picks here. My first pick was Ray Borg. I took Edmund Shabazian second, Marcus Perez third, Lando Venata fourth, and Timur Valuev was my fifth pick. For you, Nick, you first had Chris Gutierrez. Number two was Jonathan Martinez. Vincente Luque was your third pick. Joanne Calderwood, number four. Kevin Holland was your fifth. And the tiebreaker is going to be in the Mirchart versus Herman matchup. If Herman wins, you win the event. In case of a tie, if Gerald wins, I've got the win. So, yeah, look forward to boasting about another victory next week over you, Nick. It's going to be 13-4 and four before you know it, buddy. We'll see. We'll see about that. I hope everything... Uh... I hope everything in your life goes wonderfully over the next week, except on Saturday night. I truly hope that you go 0 and 11. Um, <laughs> and that you don't bet too much, but that you bet enough that your your wife at least gets a little pissed at you. <laughs> for, for the record, if I go 0 and 11, then we've both gotten like no picks right, and then the tiebreaker will win it for you. Fuck. There you go. There you go with your science again. I meant the yeah. spirit. The spirit. Yeah. All right. Well. <laughs> you really tied my shoelaces together there. All right, buddy. I'll As talk to you next I week. I tend to do. I'll talk to you next week, buddy. Welcome back to the show. Here to give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Now, last week was a really good week for me after a few weeks where I would basically be up like 10 bucks and then down 10 bucks and then up five bucks and down five bucks. It was all just very kind of even and just uh, just kind of been meddling for a little while. And then a big return on this one. That often is how things work for me. I rarely have days where I have big losses, but I do have times where I have some big wins and, and then a bunch of times where I'm basically even. In this case, I recommended $267 in bets which made out to $248 in profit, 93% return on investment. My first recommended bet was $60 on Robert Whitaker to win 50. That one worked out, of course. $17 on Fabricio Verdum to win $51. That one was a success. And then I had three bets on the Esparza-Rodriguez fight. I knew it was going to the scorecards. I was very confident that neither girl was going to finish the other. And so the three possibilities were Esparza wins, Rodriguez wins, or the fight ends up being a draw. And I kind of covered myself on the draw with a $3 bet. 
I bet 50 bucks on Esparza to win $100, then I bet $50 on Rodriguez to win 50. The idea was that if Esparza wins, it's a big win. If it's a draw, I get a bit of a profit. And then if Rodriguez wins, I basically even out on these bets and don't lose or gain anything at all. And Esparza, luckily, in this way, worked out. Evlov by decision, 45 bucks to win 50. Trinaldo and Nathaniel Wood in a parlay, $42 to win 50. So basically all my bets came through except for the Rodriguez decision and Esparza Rodriguez draw bet. Only one of those could be correct, which then amounted to $248 in profits. Now, look, the numbers I'm giving you guys are more beginner numbers as far as what you can bet. I usually tend to multiply the number that I'm giving you guys to bet by two plus, depending on how confident I am in the bet. So if I recommend a bet of $50, I'm probably gonna make a bet of 100 bucks. But this just kind of gives you a rough outline of how you can bet. And if you're comfortable betting, then you can certainly land more money. Now for this one, I have some betting opportunities that I'm seeing. Now there are a bunch of prop bets, which has some risk to it, but they're mostly smaller bets that can promise a pretty big profit if all works out. First, I recommend a prop bet of Derek Brunson by decision, plus 420, $12 to win 50. And then Shabazian by decision, plus 484, $10 to win 48. Here's the thing. Both guys have finished plenty of fights. I think both are capable of surviving to a decision if they're being controlled for the most part. So as long as this fight, so as long as this fight goes to decision, I'll have profits either way. Now, I also expect the Lando Venata versus Bobby Green bout to go the distance. So I recommend a bet on Green by decision, plus 207, 24 bucks to win 50. And then a bet on Venata by decision, I think the more likely outcome, $50 to win 67. So as long as this goes to the scorecards and doesn't end up in a draw like last time, I'm going to have a profit. Maya versus Calderwood by decision, minus 320, $300 to win, 94 bucks. I am very confident that this fight is going to decision. I think it easily could go either way. But as long as this fight goes to the scorecards, that $300 win will bring in an almost $100 profit. I know it's a bigger bet than I usually recommend, but I think it's so likely that this one goes to decision. Vicente Luque by decision, plus 290, $17 to win 50. I think getting Luque at plus money against Randy Brown is a good deal. Randy Brown has a shot here, but I think that he's likely to survive, and the odds for him to survive a decision are uh, pretty advantageous. That's why I'm recommending the 17 bucks to win 50. Ed Shortfuse Herman, inside the distance, plus 340, $5 to win 17. I'm not super confident in this. It's kind of a throwaway bet, but Herman can win, and he's probably going to finish if he does. Uh, his opponent, Mirchart, is basically a kill-or-be-killed kind of fighter. And then we've got Ray Borg, minus 227, $110 to win 50 bucks. I'm very confident in him on this one. Now, I, I was contemplating maybe putting money into him by decision, and those will give you better odds, but I don't know. I just feel like there's a chance he can get the submission with his pressure game in this one. And worst case, as long as he wins, I will have my profit on this one. Obviously, if that doesn't work out, it's a bit of a downer. Perez by decision, plus 319, $16 to win 50. And then Spicely by decision, his opponent, $10 to win 52. I'm basically investing 26 bucks into this fight. And as long as it goes to the scorecards and one guy wins, I will have a profit. I expect that Spicely can probably survive Perez, who's not a big finisher. And even though Spicely is pretty good at finishing on the ground, Perez is pretty good on the ground himself. So I don't think that's likely, likely to go to decision. And that's why I'm investing in it this way. And then we've got Cody Durbin, who's facing Chris Gutierrez. A little bit of footage that's available on him for a while ago shows that he's super athletic, big takedowns, power in his hands. 
$18 to win 51 on him. He trains with American Top Team Atlanta, which is a really high-level team with the Lima brothers. Cody Durbin should be familiar with defending kicks, and that's really most of what you have to worry about with Chris Gutierrez. And that'll do it for the betting for me on this one. As has become customary for the end of this podcast, I'm quickly going to run through the card for the upcoming UFC Fight Night on Saturday, August 8th. We've got Derek Lewis versus Alexei Oleanik in the main event. Oleanik coming off of that big win over Verdum. Chris Weidman versus Omari Ahmedov. That should be an interesting bout at middleweight. Weidman dropping back down to that division. This is the first non-top like top five, six fighter that Weidman will be fighting in a long time. Omari being ranked at number 12. Then we've got Benil Daryush versus Scott Haltman. Interesting matchup. Nazard Hakparas versus Alex Munoz. I am actually kind of excited for that one as well. Nazard Hakparas is an interesting prospect coming off of a loss to Drew Dober. Curious to see how he reacts. We've got Tim Means versus Loriano Staropoli. It should be an interesting stand-up battle. Yana Kuninskaya is coming back versus Caitlin Vieira, who's also a solid 135-pounder. Wellington Thurman, who I'm actually am very interested in, is going up against Andrew Sanchez. Thurman is a real prospect. Sanchez, you know, still kind of figuring out his prospect status because he's getting up there in age. Justin James, who got that big last-minute knockout over Frank Camacho back in June, is coming in to fight the prospect Gavin Tucker, who I believe is 200 in the UFC thus far, looking really talented in those two wins. Yusuf Zalal is coming back for his third UFC fight after going 2-0 against Peter Barrett, who I've yet to research. Stewart's on that one, so some interesting things coming up. 